0: So as we prepare to turn to scripture again this week, we are in the Gospel of John with a story that is in the midst of the rising conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders of his time. The story is considered a later addition to the gospel by most scholars as it wasn't a part of the earliest manuscripts of John, yet its inclusion later suggests that it spoke to some important truths about Jesus and about us. As we listen to God's word for us together this day, I'd invite you to take your stone and hold it in your hand. Uh, For many characters in our scripture this day came with stones held in their hands. As we do that, let's prepare to meet Jesus and the crowds at the temple in Jerusalem in John 8 verses 1 to 12.
1: And Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he returned to the temple. All the people gathered around him, and he sat down and taught them. The legal experts and Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. Placing her in the center of the group, they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone women like this. What do you say? They said this to test him because they wanted a reason to bring an accusation against him. Jesus bent down and wrote on the ground with his finger, They continued to question him, so he stood up and replied, Whoever hasn't sinned should throw the first stone. Bending down again, he wrote on the ground, Those who heard him went away one by one, beginning with the elders. Finally, only Jesus and the woman were left in the middle of the crowd. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Is there no one to condemn you? She said, No one, sir. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on don't sin anymore. Jesus spoke to the people again saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me won't walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Amen. So today is the first time in our series that our story brings together the truth of our sin with the symbol of these stones that we've been holding in our hands this Lent. When trying to discern what truly is sinful, what lays outside the bounds of God's desires for us, whether we're talking about our thoughts, our words, our actions, there is one litmus test that is guaranteed to work Every time, if we approach it honestly, all we need to do is ask ourselves is this thought, these words, this behavior hurtful? When I take in the consequences of my choice, are there signs of destruction? Am I, someone else, any part of God's good creation harmed? Because of what I have done, what I have said, what I have thought. If the answer is yes, y'all, then I would argue that what you are dealing with is sin. It's outside God's will for us. Because God desires our good. And when we hurt ourselves, hurt one another, hurt the earth, that is counter. To our good. Holding these stones in our hands as we listen to our story today, we are reminded that these stones of ours can become weapons, that our sin so often winds up hurting someone, even if that someone is us. We are reminded that sin unleashed in our lives and world will leave a mark. It will bruise, tear down, destruct. Like the stones in the Pharisees' hands, like the ones we hold in ours today, our sin can be death-dealing. Today, our story reveals the truth about our sin. If it is sin, it will cause some sort of harm in our lives and our world. The sin that takes center stage in this story is not the adultery this woman has been claimed to be caught in. Though we know that adultery in its own right definitely passes our litmus test. That it is extremely destructive and hurtful. That it is sinful. It is not the sin that gets the spotlight in our story today, however. Our story today is one that invites us to consider how we are called to respond when we witness sin. The Pharisees have arrived at the temple with judgment on their hearts. They take this woman they have somehow caught in her sin and hurl her in front of Jesus and the crowd, accusing her and asking Jesus if her sin should be met with the punishment laid out in the law. Seeking to trap him in a direct offense of the law, they have come to protect. Rather than answering their query head on, Jesus finds another way, as Jesus so often does. He tells them, whoever is without sin, you. Why don't you go ahead and cast that first stone? One by one, the accusers walk away, until scripture tells us that only the woman and Jesus are left. I love the contrast of those two moments in the scene. First, an angry mob, stones in hand, ready to harm the woman or Jesus or both. Looking upon both of them with judgment, harsh enough to kill. That moment in the scene is contrasted with this one, Jesus and the woman left alone, facing each other one-on-one. I found in my life that when I encounter a person who is judgmental, who looks upon others with harsh eyes, ready to destruct another with words or actions that make them feel shame in the face of their sin, devalues their worth, their personhood. The longer I live, the more I am convinced that those who live their lives in judgment of others most often do so because deep within they are harshly judging themselves. The inverse, of course, is also true. It is when we have experienced grace and compassion in the face of our shortcomings, our mistakes, our failures, that we are ready to extend that same grace and compassion to others. Jesus does not respond to this woman with the judgment and punishment the Pharisees long for him to hurl at her. Instead, as he stands there with her alone, the angry mob having dispersed. He tells her that he does not condemn her. And then he sets her free. He tells her, this one who had been imprisoned by the crowd, caught in her sin, he tells her to go and to not sin anymore. He sets her free And he invites her to live differently, to live in a way that will not hurt herself or those in relationship with her. Dear ones, you know your own heart better than anyone except maybe God alone. You know how you react to the people around you you know whether your first impulse is judgment and condemnation of others or if it is mercy and compassion if judgment is where you tend to land then my hunch is that your judgment is not reserved for others alone my hunch is that at the heart of your that heart of yours It sits in harshest judgment of yourself. My guess is that you have been shamed by people central to your life one too many times, taught that your mistakes define you, that your sin speaks the truth of who you are, and that you've believed them. You've let that shame take root in you, and friends, shame is something that eats us up inside. It destroys us from the inside out. We make mistakes. We sin. But that doesn't mean that we are a mistake. That we are inherently bad. What a gift it would be if every time we feel that shame inside, if every time we hurled that shame at another sitting in judgment of them as we sit in judgment of ourselves, if we could remember this scene, if we could call to our minds and our hearts, Jesus and this woman, left alone, and we could see the mercy, the compassion Jesus offered this woman, and realize it is that same mercy, that same compassion Jesus meets us with. That same mercy, that same compassion that Jesus invites us to extend to others. Shame and judgment are so destructive. They are death dealing. But once again, the inverse is true. Mercy and compassion are generative. They build up instead of tear down. They give life instead of taking it. I know this to be true because I've experienced it myself. I know this to be true because I have witnessed it in the life of others. Many of you know Ryan Lynch, who is the worship leader of our Harvest Table community, and also the lead singer and organizer of a local rock band, The Champagne. He and I have been meeting together with Janine weekly since the start of the year, seeking to discern what the future holds for Harvest Table and how we can invite people into that community to help us discover God's path for us. We're hoping to relaunch Harvest Table in the fall with an introductory concert in late August but recognize that we needed to build the community between now and then if that event would reach people in the way we imagined that it could. So we decided to start gathering people together now who might want to be a part of Harvest Table and have planned a meet up at the end of the month that will take place at Ryan's house that's just down the road from here after we were together this week, when Janine designed a graphic for us to promote the event, I immediately had to jump on Zoom for another meeting. An hour later, when I was finished, I had a notification that I'd been tagged in a post on Facebook. When I clicked to see what it was, this is what I found. A post by Ryan on both his Facebook and Instagram accounts, which I got his permission to share with you this morning. This is what he wrote. Hey, everyone. I want to invite all of you to join me for a night of good food, friendship, and spiritual growth on Wednesday, March 29th. I'll be hosting a get-together at my place with the purpose of launching a new initiative through my church. Recently, Claire Lozano and I have been working on reforming our purpose for our Harvest Table worship services. For me personally, I've always believed in God or some sort of higher universal power. But church has always been a touchy subject. For years, I considered myself a believer in God, but I wasn't going to church or praying. Much of my reason for this was because my previous experience with churches weren't ones I was fond of. So my connection with God had really grown kind of stale. That changed when I found Heritage Presbyterian Church. I found a small community, about 100 people total, who really accepted me for who I was. Every time I showed up on Sunday, no matter my condition, everyone welcomed me in. I've been leading worship at Heritage for five years now. And through those five years, this group of people has seen me at my best and also my absolute worst. But both times to them, I was just Ryan, a member of the community who they all looked out for. My goal now is to show others the same acceptance and compassion. I want to build a community of people who want to do good in the world and who want to be there to support one another. So if this sounds like something you're into, this is your invite. Please come as you are and join me at my place. I'll cook for you and you can be in the company of some other people who are interested in making an impact in the world. And then we can all work together on how to do that. By the time I saw the post, it had been up for about 30 minutes and the responses were already rolling in. Ryan has 15 of his friends who have already said that they would be there, with about twice that many who have responded in some way to not only his invite, but the testimony within it. It's that testimony that I want to shine the spotlight on today. It's hard to believe that it has been almost five years of living life and leading worship with Ryan, but it has. And he's right. Over the course of those years, you and I have seen Ryan at his best. And we have also walked with him when he has been at his worst. Yet no matter how he showed up here, on any given Sunday, he was met with love, with compassion, with concern and care. Someday I know he will share that story in his own words. For he and I both can already sense it is one God wants him to tell. But I have had the chance to sit across from him and see in his eyes, hear in his voice, the difference this community has made. The ways God saved him, literally saved him through it. We loved him through a really dark time in his life. And now that he is on the other side of it, he is passionate. Passionate about sharing that same love, compassion, concern, and care with those in his life who he knows needs it just as much as he did, as he does. For y'all, we are all in need of the love and compassion, the mercy and grace that are found in Jesus Christ. And when we are met with those incredible gifts and are able to receive them, y'all, it changes everything. Stones cast in judgment are death dealing. You've seen it. You've seen the way they bruise, they tear down, they disconnect, they cut off. Mercy and compassion do the opposite. They heal. They build up. They connect. They restore. They generate life. Life that spills out for the life of this
1: world. Amen. Amen. Amen.